Great uh, song choice, uh, perfect, as we move into a series uh, or a continued series in Joshua. I was just reflecting that uh, we have the army of God on our side. We really do. We have an angel, army of angels. Whom shall we fear, really? Joshua chapter 1, that's, that's what we've been looking at, Joshua 1 through Joshua 12. We're in 13 today, but Joshua 1, my servant, it says, Joshua, arise, cross this Jordan, and you and all the people of the land, I am giving it to you, the sons of Israel. Every place which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Do not fear, this is your territory. No one can stand against you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous, the Lord says. And that's the message of Joshua. Be strong, be courageous. God has given us a great possession himself. And we are moving forward into a deeper relationship with God as we study Joshua. So I hope you enjoyed it. Have you enjoyed Joshua? Enjoyed the series? Hearing and understanding about Joshua's leadership? And he strengthened the Lord, his confidence that led the people. Jericho, God did the work. They just were faithful. They just showed up. They just show up. Half of our job is just to show up and watch what God does, right? And then AI, they had a setback. They had to learn a few things about which was there, what possessions were theirs and what were not, and how to trust and obey God and wait on God's timing. We learned about the great adversary that pushes us back, that wants to keep pushing us back. We learned of the law of undulation, that the the Christian life is ups and downs. It's what C.S. Lewis calls the law of undulation, going from peaks to troughs, peaks to troughs, peaks to troughs. But we keep moving forward, don't we? We learned about dangerous prayer last week. If you were here with us with James, as he gave us a great message and held up his family prayer card and said, this is the most dangerous thing in our home. We are praying some dangerous prayers. This morning, we're going to continue looking at this idea of dangerous prayer, and we're going to talk about how to live dangerously. And I've, I've discovered something here in this text that I hadn't seen before, and it's about the life of Caleb. One of the individuals that we're going to look at this morning is Caleb, and he lived a dangerous life. And he lived a dangerous life for three reasons. And we're going to look at all three of those. I'm not talking about de- being, living a reckless life, right? We're living not, not a reckless life. I mean, if you want to re- re- live a reckless life, go on to RedBull.com, right? And, 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 you know, and you can look and read the story about the guys that learned how to do the snowmobiling, you know, double backflip. Now, that sounds really fun, but I always thought a snowmobile was for the snow, not the air. But those guys are living reckless lives. It's just gnarly. I'm sorry if you, if you do that kind of stuff. That's great. There's an adventure for everybody. But that's a pretty reckless one. I also read an article in Red Bull about these wingsuit flyers. Looks fun. Looks exciting. I think if God intended us to fly, he would have given us wings, right? So these guys have invented wings, and they fly very close to uh, the cliff. And... You know, the sad thing about it is it's, it's exciting, it's adventurous, and i got to do it. And one particular person says, I do it because it makes me happy. And, and yet the average lifespan of a person that does wingsuit flying is about in their 20s. So it's, it's, a, it's a reckless, dangerous life oftentimes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living a spiritually dangerous life, a life where there is great impact, that you have found something in your life 
to live for that is going to make you spiritually dangerous in your community, in your family, in your workplace. And I found great inspiration from the life of Caleb. Now, oftentimes, I have, I've had multiple conversations this week and I've done a lot of reading, and there's a theme through my week that I didn't know was going to happen, and that is I have read and talked to people that have identified a particular verse in the Bible that has kind of been the turning point for their life. Do you have one of those? Like a verse like, oh my gosh, I read this verse, and it's kind of changed my perspective, and it's kind of set me on a whole new course. Well, I had this conversation with a young man and was kind of thinking through life and next steps. And, and he said, you know, I have just read this verse that has just kind of impacted me and got me thinking about where I'm going in life and what I want to invest my life in. It was in Mark chapter 8, verse 32 and 33, about Jesus speaking about discipleship. He says, what shall a profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? That began speaking to this young man. I was reading Gary... Uh, or Mark Batterson and, and a couple of his books this week. And, and he has a life verse, a little small little verse about a guy named Benaiah in 2 Samuel who fell into a pit and a lion was there and he slayed the lion and he got back out. And he went, what's that about? And, and the guy found courage and he found strength that he didn't have before. And then the, then the story goes on. But for some reason, that little event in this life of this obscure person in 2 Samuel kind of got him thinking about prayers and, and, and what God can do if we pray bigger and we dream bigger and we live dangerous lives. Um, I was thinking of Paul. What would be a verse for Paul? Romans chapter 15, verse 20. The end of Paul's life. I mean, Paul's now thinking about going to Rome. He wants to go to Rome. And then he wants to move from Rome and continue his ministry beyond Rome to the West and go to Spain and go beyond and continue preaching the gospel. And yet we find he finds out that he's going to end up in prison and will not be able to do this. But in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, he says these words. I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been preached. In other words, I want to keep going. That's the objective of my life. More territory. I want new people. I want to continue to go. And at the end of Paul's life, he said, I have finished the course I have set that God has set out for me. I have lived faithfully. And even at the end of the life, his life in prison, he you, we, we find these, 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 these nuggets of truth about Paul, about how he lived a very, very dangerous life even at the end of his life. He didn't isolate. He didn't give up. He didn't coast. He pushed into the rest of his life. Bring me friends. Bring me so we can be encouraged by one another. Bring me my scripts. Bring me my book, my parchment, so I can continue to study the Gospels. And let's address the, the concerns of the church. This guy's in prison, ready to die. And that's the kind of life he's living. I love that. I think of Moses. If Moses had a verse, it would be Psalm 90. And in verse 12, he says in these great words, he says, let us number our days so that we might learn how to live wisely. Wow. Number your days so that you might live. There's, there's wisdom in knowing how much time you have left. And so maybe this morning, Joshua chapter 13 and 19, and especially chapter 14, will be that life-changing moment for you this morning. As we learn about one life, the life of Caleb, 
And the three things that he did to live dangerously. And here they are. Number one, know the value and worth of your inheritance. It's in your, on your outline. Number two, I want to second of all, I want to look at the, the, the second thing, which is dream a bigger dream. You've got to have a bigger dream. And third, which is not on your outline, you might want to write it down. Here it is. Raise up others to take your place. Raise up others to take your place. Three things to live a life that is a dangerous life. A very, very dangerous life. A life that's going to really make an impact. You've got to know the value and worth of what God has already given you. You've got to dream bigger, greater, larger dreams. And you have to replace yourself. Otherwise, you won't live a dangerous life according to this particular section of Scripture. So how do I discover that? Let's start in Joshua 13. The conquests are over. Israel has battled for seven, ten years. They've pushed into the land. They've now created a space where God could now cause the people to live in peace or allow the people to live in peace. And so now here they are, and, and, and there's rest in the land from war. The battles aren't over yet, by the way. They really never are. There's a spiritual principle here. They've pushed back people. God has told them to move forward. This is God's battle. This is God's war. This is God's land. This is where God wanted his people. And so he pushed these people, the Canaanites and other peoples, out of the area. And God claimed this part of real estate on the earth to be a place where God would dwell. And his voice would be known. His glory would be seen. And that had been done for the most part. And now it was time for Israel to come in and the tribes to begin to inherit what God had promised them, the promised land. Inherit the land. And so they come in and Joshua now in chapter 13, it says Joshua was old and advanced in years, probably a hundred years of age, when the Lord said to him, you are an old and advanced in years. I like that. Yeah, no kidding. You have to remind me, God, right? You are old and advanced, and very much of the land still remains to be possessed. In other words, you did a pretty good job. Your armies pushed back quite a bit through my effort. You, you, you accomplished a lot, but there's still more land to be possessed and to be pushed, other people to be pushed out, peoples to be pushed out of this land. And so God says, I'll do the rest. I'll just simply take care of it. I love that. Don't miss that. That God himself is demonstrating his ability to claim land for himself. Which helps us understand this is what God wanted. God wanted a piece of real estate on the face of the earth that would be for his glory. The earth had turned. As we learned last week, the entire earth, the inhabitants of the entire world had turned away from their creator. Forgot why God had created all things and for the purpose. And so the entire inhabitants of the world had turned away from God. God said, I want to reclaim my name. And I want to do it right here on this land. This is going to be my land. And I want these people to come in. And Isaiah reminds us that they will be a light to other nations. This is God's land. He Almost as if there's this... This beam of light coming from heaven on this spot so the world would look and go, where's that coming from? This one spot seems to be holy. Yeah, this is God's land. This is God's possession. And then he allows Israel 
to first of all inherit it. And so God does that. I will drive them out, verse 6, before the sons of Israel, only to allot it to Israel for an inheritance. Do you see that word? It's right there in chapter 13, verse 6. It's an inheritance. The land is an inheritance from God. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't do anything for it. You simply inherit it. There is a spiritual principle in here that is found throughout all of Scripture, and that is that we are the recipients of what God has given us. Everything we have, from the land that we have, to the real estate, to our possessions, to our talents, to our salvation, has been given to us by God. And we have to understand its value and worth in order to live a dangerous life. We have to understand what its worth is. That God fought for it. God wanted to give it to us. And Israel was now being, being given rest. God's presence. God wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to make them powerful and great and mighty so that they would see God in all his glory through the lives of the Israelites. But they would have to, first of all, understand the fact that the inheritance that they received was from God. In fact, I found a scripture. It's in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23. It says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine, says the Lord. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. God owned the land. It wasn't Israel's. It wasn't for them, for theirs to, to do what they wanted with. They couldn't sell it. They couldn't move away. God said, this is mine. This is my possession on the face of the earth so that my glory would be seen at this spot. That's why when you go to the Holy Land, it's like a, a pretty crazy experience because you sense that something's different here. It's not just um, a, a, a spiritual um, journey or pilgrimage. You're in, a, you're in a, a physicality, a land, a place that God had ordained on the face of the earth for himself. And you sense that all around you. The power and work of God. And it's, it's well worth the experience to show you and demonstrate to you the power of God and the glory of God and the miraculous ability of God. It brings hope and encouragement and life to your soul. But it's the inheritance. And so we find this, that they don't own it. They didn't win it. It's a lot like salvation, isn't it? I mean, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not on the basis of works. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. God simply gives it to you. By His grace, He steps into every single one of our lives and offers us what we need most importantly. Forgiveness. New relationship. A new start a second chance, another opportunity to know Him, to find our purpose in life. That's what salvation is. And to live in eternity in the presence of God and His people. That's what we get. And this represents that. Now, spiritually speaking, what does that look like for you and I? I thought of several verses. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says in verse 2, 
He says that you are stewards of the mystery of God. He uses the word steward, and the steward is not the homeowner. It's the steward. It's the servant of the homeowner. God's the homeowner. We're the servant. What you have, the mystery of God, has been given to you to be stewarded by you. God owns it. I found another verse, Matthew chapter 25. If you start in verse 14, you go all the way to the end of chapter 25, you hear the story, a parable actually, of a king with a kingdom. And he says, I'm going away, but before I go, he called his servants and he handed out and gave them, doled them out. What did he give them? Talents. And he gave them a different amount of talents. And it doesn't really make any sense why some got five, some got two, some got one. It doesn't really matter. The number doesn't matter. What God gives you is what God gives you. The important thing to realize is that there's going to be a day of reckoning. The king comes back. And they knew that he was coming back. And he asked them to invest those talents and give it back to him. Isn't that interesting? God has given everything you are. Who you are, your talent, your skills, your family. Every part of your life has been given to you. You Go invest it. Go enjoy it, but go invest it. Go make it more. Make it bigger. Grow it. And then I come back. And my question is, what did you do with what I gave you? That's the only question God's going to ask. One guy goes and buries his. He just buried it. He got in big trouble. Look at Matthew chapter 25. I thought of two other passages First Peter chapter 1 and Second Peter chapter 1. Peter writes two letters in the New Testament, and in both letters, he begins with this. The thing that Peter wants to communicate to the church about living a faithful life, he begins both of his letters identically. Do you never notice that? In First Peter chapter 1 and Second Peter chapter 1? First Peter chapter 1, here's what he says. He says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. An inheritance. God has given you an inheritance. And then the rest of 1 Peter is all about how to invest that inheritance by living faithfully by preparing your mind for action, about understanding the spiritual gifts that God has given you, about shepherding the church well, about being a good, faithful servant in your workplace. All the things that we need to do to demonstrate that God has given us an inheritance and we're investing it. Second Peter, same, same thing. Here's what he says, Second Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. And goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Everything you need to live a successful, spiritual, dangerous life has already been given to you. It's already done. Transactions happen. Everything you need, every promise, every power, every ability, it's already been doled out. It's like the inheritance. Here's the land. Move in. And for the next seven years, they start moving into this inheritance, this land that God has given them. It's done. I'll fight the battles. I'll do it. You just show up and understand what I have given you. That is the great challenge in life. 
to understand fully your potential as a follower of Christ in terms of your inheritance. I was in New York recently and I had an opportunity to, uh, to do a couple things that I've been really wanting to do. Someone told me many years ago, if you ever get to New York, you got to go to the Riverside Church. And I, I've never been, it's been years, and I've always wanted to go to the Riverside Church. So I finally took some time, got on the train, and went to the Upper West Side, up near Columbia University, and saw the Riverside Church. It was built in the 30s. And it's still standing. It's the tallest church in America because there's this huge bell tower. And if you climb up there, which is closed now, you can see a beautiful free, you get a free view of Central Park, but you can't do that anymore. But it's a beautiful church, and you walk in, and it's awe-inspiring, and then you begin to read the history of this church. It's so much more than just simply a church. This church was inspired and started by J.D. Rockefeller Jr., the great industrialist, philanthropist. He invested the money and had the vision to build a church that has become world-famous. This is the church that stands for social, social justice in America and around the world to this day. I went downstairs and it's thriving. There's people coming in and there's food going out and there's ministry happening all throughout the week. There's so much activity. It, is, it was like crazy in the middle of the week. And this church is, is just thriving. And they're talking about social justice and their sermons. And, and they've had pastors that have stood for social justice. And Martin, Luke, Martin Luther King had actually preached there a year before on, on Vietnam. A year before he was assassinated, he got up and began preaching. Um, many, many famous people have preached in this church. All because J.D. Rockefeller Jr., was inspired to invest some of his resources to build something that would outlast last himself. And then the rest of the day, moved my way over to the east side, met up with my daughter, and I've always wanted to go to the Frick Museum, Henry Frick, another great philanthropist, a wealthy man from coal, steel, in the early 1900s, builds a beautiful mansion, begins to acquire great art. Remoirs, uh, Monet's, or Rembrandt, a couple of Rembrandt's, Vermeer, Turner. It's beautiful, gorgeous. And you walk through his, his mansion, his home, and you see these works of art that he had collected over his years. And he, he built it, collected them. Three years later, he died. It's now a museum. And it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Janie reminds me that art inspires us. So let's not take the illustration too far. It's just an illustration. But what it's illustrating, hopefully, to us this morning is that what are you going to do with what you have? Will it become a church or a, a museum? And I, I just draw that contrast. The church representing a movement of God that continues on. Museum, something to observe from a life of gone, gone by, a past life. That's the challenge. There's a second thing that I find in this passage, and it's Caleb himself. Because in chapter 13, we find that Joshua is now doling out the land. And he's giving it to the tribes. And the 12 tribes are going to get these equal allotments. And they're going to now, for the next 7 to 10 years, move into the land. And now it's Caleb's turn to receive Judah's interest in the land. And notice what it says. You've got to see this. In Joshua chapter 14, verse 6, the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua, Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephneh. 
And he's a Kenizzite. Said to him, you know the word which the Lord had spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. In other words, Caleb goes to Joshua and says, you know what Moses said about us. Yeah, yeah, I already know. You and I are the two faithful ones that in Numbers 13 went into the land 40 years prior and believed that God could accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish through us. No one else believed us, but in Numbers 13, verse 30, Caleb stands up and says, we certainly can take the land. We, I believe in God, don't you? And no one else did. And Caleb and Joshua were the only two that were able to go into the land. And on the basis of their faithfulness, both of them were able to receive an inheritance. Here's Caleb, ready to receive an inheritance for a faithfulness from God to God. And he stands there and reminds him, and I can just imagine Joshua, I know, I know, I know Caleb, I get it. What do you want? What do you want? Literally, you pick out a nice area. Whatever you want is yours because you deserved it. You lived a long life. You're 85. You're an old man like me. We fought the battles together. You stood for God, and you deserve this at the end of your life. Pick it out. You want the meadows? You want the rivers? You want buildable land sites? What do you want? And then he goes into this speech that he had prepared. I was 45 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I know. I know. I was there. Caleb, I was there. Get on with it. Moses swore to me on this day. I know. Ten. Behold, the Lord has let me live. I know. Just as I spoke, these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85. I know you're 85. Get on with it. Verse 11. I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses. My strength was then, so my strength is now. For war and for going out and coming in. Now then, now then, because I am strong, because I deserve it, because I'm in line for the best piece of real estate in Israel, give me the hill country. Give it to me. The hill country, the hill country is the place they hadn't yet conquered. Because that's where the Anakim live, probably the descendants from the giants in Genesis chapter 6. We're not sure. There's a lot of discussion about that. But they're probably, the Anakim are the long-necked people. These are potentially descendants of the giants that lived in the land. Maybe back to the Philistines? We don't know. But we know one thing. We know that these were dangerous giants. And Caleb, at the end of his life, who deserved to take a rest, says, give me, give me the hill country. I'm up for one more battle in my life. I'm up for one more great dream, big dream. And I think the point is, if you want to live dangerously, you got to have a bigger dream. you got to dream bigger in your life. you just got to keep dreaming bigger and bigger and bigger. And I believe God is about to do something in this church. We started it last week. I mean, we began, and it's been going on for a while. It's just that now we're all becoming aware of the power of prayer in the life of the people in this church. But even more so, that prayer is going to ignite powerful people to begin dreaming. I want the hill country. I want some place that's impossible to get. Only God can do that. I want the giants and I'm going after them. Caleb chooses that at the end of his life, not at the beginning of his life. 
That is a great challenge for you and I. As we get older, dream bigger dreams. And you will only dream dreams as big as your faith. When your faith grows, your dreams grow. And as you get older, my challenge to you is to be like Caleb. Dream a bigger dream. Even bigger than you think in this moment. God has given us the opportunity to do that. Caleb had the opportunity to lay low, to rest, to do what he wanted, but deep faith made him dangerous. Your dreams are as big as your faith in God. Bigger dreams enlarge in your life, and Caleb's life gets even larger at 85. So the challenge this morning for us is will we pursue the giants at 85 like we did at 45? I think of all the things that Denise and I did early in our life, leaving real estate and going into full-time ministry, wondering how we are going to pay the bills, stepping out into some church opportunities that were far bigger jobs than I had the ability or the skill for. Several failures and hiccups and falling flat on my face, getting back up. But we kept going. We just did. We just kept going. Then we dreamed of a church. We dreamed of planning a church. We have no church experience, planning experience. In fact, we were going to go to a church planning conference training, and then we didn't go. So I got no training. So we just said, well, let's just get some families and go do this. Right? That's God's job. God's job is to do the growing. God's job is to inspire you. We just believe. That's what Caleb did. That's what Joshua did. I mean, think about it. Did Jericho come down because they knocked the wall down? Remind me. How'd the wall come down? Did the Israelites stop the earth from turning on its axis or slowly slow it down in order to provide more daylight so that it might win the battles? Did Israel confound the armies that fought against? Who's behind all this? It's God who's doing this. He's the one. He's the one who's going to go after the giants. And we need to be ready. So the question is this morning, what's God inspiring you to do? I mean, bigger dreams. But here's something else that I've learned about it that you need to understand. It's like David. Remember David? He went after the Philistine. He went, in Goliath, he was ugly. He was mean. And he would, for 40 days, he would taunt the nation of Israel, the armies. They would stand there. And Goliath would be on the other side of the valley. And, and, and when you see it, you go, my goodness. Look at this. This is the, where's the battle? This is the battle. This is where Israel's going to come in. The Philistines are going to and, and Goliath just stood there and said, who's going who's to face me? 40 days, he just taunted them. David finally stepped forward. It's done. It's a done deal. It's a done deal if God's in this thing. It's already accomplished. So... You gotta, you're going to have to cut the heads off of a, giant, of a few giants in order to take the hills. There's going to be a giant in your way. There, there will be. And it could be a lot of things. And this morning, you are probably holding on to a few giants right now. And you've got to cut the head off the giant in order to take the hill country. And that's part of dreaming a bigger dream. And it could be anything. It could be a number of things. It could be debt. It could be depression. It could be some danger. It could be deceit, disease, discouragement, doubt. It could be explosive temper, fragile self-image. 
maybe a, 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 a profound sense of, of self-preservation. Maybe your job owns you. Maybe something else owns you. And you've got to cut the head of that giant off. You're not going to proceed to the hills unless you go after it in battle. And you've got to be able to see it and understand that's in the way of God doing what He's going to do in my life. And He can do it. And history is filled with people that have accomplished great things. Actually, history is filled with a lot of great godly people in their 80s that have done great things. I mean, there's a lot of stories of people at the end of their Oswald Chambers. Began writing in the 70s. He wrote a book every year. He's known for his writings. Is that crazy? Guy started writing. Oswald Sanders. Did I say Chambers? Uh, amazing. The guy that wrote the thesaurus, I think he did it like in his 80s or 90s or something. I mean, there's so many things that we can point to. Question is, do you see God more or do you see the giant more? Locato in one of his books on David says, David sees what others don't see and refuses to see what others do. David sees the giant, but he sees God more. It's a good line. I'm wondering about my own life, and I'll get to that in a second, but I want to give you the third point, and the third point is raise up others to take your place because Caleb didn't do this for himself. He only lived another 10 years. This was not for him. Never is. It's for somebody else. Because when you turn the page and you go to chapter 15, Caleb drives them out in verse 14, and then he says to Caleb, the one who attacks the Kiriath-Sephir and captures it, I will give them Akashah, the, my daughter, as his wife. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. So he gave him Asha, his daughter, as his wife. We know Othniel because we turn to jo- Judges chapter 3 and we discover he's one of the great faithful judges of Israel in the next season of Israel's history. And he defeats the battles, defeats the enemies, and gives Israel 40 years of peace. See, there's a greater dream, and the greater dream is somebody that replaces you. It's the somebody else. It's your kids. It's, it's a younger generation. I was reading a, 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 a Barna study, 14,000 pastors through Pepperdine University and the George Barna Foundation, now owned by David Kinnaman. And David did this 14,000 pastoral survey and found some interesting things. One of the major discoveries in this huge 14,000 interviews is he discovered that pastors, the average age of pastors is getting older today than it was even 10 to 15 years ago. And as the age gets older, he says, well, you know, young people are going into the marketplace or choosing other professions. Um, uh, retirement's not that great, so pastors are staying on longer. There's lots of reasons. But I thought about it, and I said, here's the, here's the big one. It's, 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 we're headed for a leadership crisis. If, if we're getting older and there's nobody coming in to replace us, what happens? There's a leadership void. And I went, aha, there's my big dream. My big dream is not a third campus, and I want to find some place. My dream is bigger than that. And I thought my dream was one person who could be raised up, a young person that wants to take our place, Bill and myself, to help Tommy and Matt and James and our young, young leaders 
maybe somebody else, maybe more, to have the vision of going after more of the South Bay and taking a group of people and going into our communities and bringing the community Christ. And I thought, I don't want one, I want five. And I'm, my dream is five campuses that could be five churches, they could be sister churches, because this is a massive South Bay. And what we're doing is just a little thing over here, but we can have a great impact. Why? Because prayer, because of you, because of the resources. We have unbelievable resources in this church. And I think we can do far more. And I am believing God for more. The question is, what are you going to do? I gave you a card. I would love for you to take a moment. Now, you may have your old card. I wrote mine prayers, my dangerous prayers down, and, and I've got a couple one, a couple of them, and I wrote some of them that aren't answered yet, and I, and I looked at it and went, oh my goodness, I had a couple small prayers. Not small, but important, and I said, great connection with my two daughters. Happened this last week. My daughter's husband was out of town, Denise was out of town. Brooke and I got some great time together, time like I've never had with her before. And God just knit our hearts. It was, it was a couple events, and I, I, I was dreaming for that. I really was. At this stage in my life, I want those moments, and I got them. And then I went to New York and visited Brittany, and I'd had another one. And it was one of my best times with my second daughter. Great connection. It was on my prayer list. There's a study out there that says that people that write their, their goals down have an 80% greater chance of actually accomplishing them. I wonder why. Something happens in the brain that connects with your will so that you accomplish what you don't think you could do. But you've got to write it down. It's got to be there. And so I wrote some other things. I had this sore throat that's been going on for two, three months. And it's just this cough, and it just kept going up and down. And it's just really getting, like, very, really discouraging. It's a little small thing, but I prayed, God, just take this away. Gone. It's the weirdest thing. I went, wait, where'd that go? I've been dealing with this thing for months and months and months. Gone. It just was a reminder of what God can do, even greater things, bigger things. It was just a reminder of his abilities. I can take care of those things. I can take care of bigger things, too. And so I wrote some of those down. And then I want you to, I want you to just dream bigger. On the back side of my card from last week, dream bigger. More pastors, more campuses, more impact worldwide. Kids, heart for God, heart for people. Primary, primary objective in my life is to see that my kids and their spouses have a heart for God and a heart for people, no matter where God takes them. And I'm praying some big prayers, dreaming some big dreams. And I want you to join me this morning. I want you to write something down. It could be something in the area of your family. It could be maybe for our church, maybe a prayer ministry, maybe... More healing that God can do. I know they're out there. I know we have people. Maybe it's raising up. I met with a young person. It's like, how can I, how do I quit my job? How am I? I don't know there's somebody in this church that can pay to help you accomplish what this church needs, which is another pastor, another young person, another leader, to grow our ministry, grow our impact. We can do it. God can do it. And maybe it's in the area of your work. I don't know. But I encourage you, take a moment, and I want you just as the band comes up, let's close. 
And uh, let, me just, let me just close for you uh, in prayer. I wrote this down. Don't want to fight the giants? Stay out of the hill country. Want to live dangerously? Head for the hills. It's really up to us. And I believe God can do it. I really do. But it's a matter of us being willing to step out in faith. Be a Caleb. Father, this is a dangerous place. This really is a dangerous place because you're here, your spirit is here, your word is here. It empowers us. And your servants are here. It's, it's really a recipe for great disaster on a spiritual realm. Powerful, powerful opportunities await us. Amazing opportunities. Greater opportunities than we ever thought. And rather than sliding in to home base on se- at second or dying at 59 but having your grave marker say buried at 89 we want to go all the way we want to go to the finish line and we want to go strong and hard with great dreams for our family for our own personal faith and for our church so I pray that God you would um, inspire us this morning Deeply inspire us. Allow your truth to go deep within our hearts so that we might live for you. Amen.